0: What do you want to lead on it, Odai?
1: No, you go ahead. It's fine. Well, I could lead. (laughs) Don't know how. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Audible Autism. Today, we have with us the amazing Sarah, the mysterious Odai, and, of course, Lauren the amazing. And today, we're going to talk about, and I don't know, I'm I'm just uh, being silly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Testing, testing, testing. Can you hear me? This is Audible Autism.
0: Okay, so on the show we have uh, Lauren Snow, who is here to talk about their general views on autism and also their new business, Autism Academy. Um, So thank you very much for coming on the uh, show, Lauren. Um, So, Lauren, I understand that you were diagnosed at the age of 24, Mm -hmm. which was two years ago, and you're now running your own business dedicated to raising awareness of autism, which is a very short span of time. So I was just wondering if you could explain a little bit more about what happened there.
1: I got diagnosed uh, as ADHD uh, about... year or two before i was diagnosed as autistic and uh, there's quite a bit of similarities between adhd and autism and getting diagnosed with adhd helped me realize that um, my past ideas about what is autism and what adhd is were actually wrong a lot of that stuff fueled by the media which often sensationalizes shows this really odd image of what these things are and actually me beginning to question what they were allowed me to look at my own behaviors and also to meet lots of others and to seek out information because when you read the definition of autism and the other criteria it gives you a very limited way of understanding it it doesn't describe the everyday things that someone may have all those little things that people do
0: okay okay so um so where we were was I was asking you um why you'd been diagnosed so late and you were telling me that it was because um your previous understanding of autism had been incorrect um and that you felt that this was partially influenced by the media so do you want to mm. uh, continue talking about that before I, where you were before I interrupted you
1: Yeah I remember being young and uh on when ADHD was shown you'd be shown this child who's screaming and shouting and hitting and that would be what would be called ADHD. But then in reality, learning about ADHD, you learn that, that an ADHD child can actually be very quiet. Uh, they don't have to be hyperactive and running around. It could be mentally hyperactive. And a lot of those things that the media showed, those kind of sensationalized extreme examples, is not necessarily reflective of most people. They also can show like, co-occurring conditions as actually being uh, the thing itself. So often, to in ADHD they show um, oppositional defiant disorder as ADHD, but oppositional defiant disorder is a separate thing. It can go together. It's a co-occurring condition. It's uh, like when some when when say uh, the media might show uh, autism. Often they show uh, learning disabilities, and often they show like extreme sensory needs or aggressive behaviour. They don't necessarily talk about what autism is. Um, and so one can get a very you know, a big misconception about
0: about it. Interesting. So once you uh, fully understood autism, you uh, thoroughly embraced it. I see.
1: Oh no! The more I learn about autism, the more I question everything. Oh really? Yeah. It's it, it's an odd position where I, I teach several courses on autism, but um, because some commonalities between people, but there's so much diversity and so many different you know co occurring things that are going on there that it can sometimes be hard to pin down something that is autistic and uh you know we I talk a lot about sensory differences, but I have people from everyday life that are saying "I, I have this difficulty or I have this thing going on here. is it a sensory thing and it could be because I look at some of the sensory things and they're a part of a bunch of other stuff um and an example of this say somebody's oversensitive to sound um when things are getting too much to them every single sound can seem to, to hurt and everything a lot of people can relate to that whether they've got sensory issues or not uh that sense of being overwhelmed or having meltdowns and shutdowns i think a lot of people in society can relate to that uh i think i digressed from the question quite a bit but yeah i i've learned a lot about autism um but I feel that there's so much more left to understand. Fair one one of the benefits of what I do is I teach lots of parents. Yeah. Yeah. And so each, each class, each parent brings in the wealth of their challenges that they face um, as a family, as a parent. And because quite a few of them are go on to later be diagnosed with autism or ADHD themselves as somebody who's autistic or ADHD. And I think that really helps my understanding and and you know, helps me relate to them and empathise. I see right now a lot in the uh, online autism community. There's a lot of focus on the autistic person, the autistic perspective, which I, you know, I'm absolutely for. And some people are very much, uh, there can be this negative perception towards parents. When I'm with my classes, the first thing I have to do is I have to kind of put the parents at ease so they don't think that I'm there judging them. Because a lot of what's going to be brought up in class is all of the mistakes that they've made as parents, and I think that's just a natural part of being a parent or being a human. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to f- do things wrong. And I know a lot of these parents because they find out their children are autistic when their children, when you know their children are, say, eight or fifteen or whatever age, and they're like, "Oh my God, I did all of these things wrong. That I hurt my child in this way for the first eight or 15 years of their life didn't know so that's what they can kind of bring into the class and they can feel quite you know worried about talking about it because they feel judged and uh, they want to do things better now it's just a interesting little point for my classes
2: that, that's something I've no, I sort of noticed in regards to my own experiences with a diagnosis or whatever, is while one of my parents, I would say, in regards to the diagnosis process, has been a bit fearful, but it's more because he didn't understand exactly what autism was. Whereas with my mom, on the other hand, in terms of talking about it, whenever I bring up examples of, you know, some of the things in terms of parenting and whatever, I do jokingly have to preface that like okay I'm gonna have to embarrass you here because you know some of those things that I look back on were a bit kind of harmful or a bit iffy but look you know in hindsight it meant it's sort of one of those things where in hindsight it makes total sense. Oh really? Like what? Um, I suppose, well, the one example I can think of was, um, either of you familiar with Kumon Maths by any chance? No, but go on. It's this thing for kids gearing up to young adults which is sort of like a program to help people work with, ma- like improve their math skills and that. And I did that for quite a long time but I think there's an incident where I think I must have had a lot of correct In the work that I was doing, and we both were, she was sort of really incensed by it because sometimes in doing the work, we would kind of be at each other's throats by that in a way. So, like, at one that evening, I remember it's like something sort of snapped, and she decided, You're not going to be going to bed until you're, you know, every single one of these is done. Um. So, I remember I found myself up till past. 12, you know that was the first time I ever did stay up past midnight was trying to get this work done before you know the Friday evening to Saturday morning to get this done so yeah that was something that looking back on it just like yeah that was a that was a wild episode
1: yeah yeah I um so it sounds like there there was a moment where your mum just sort of snapped within herself there's one interesting thing that, that we teach And it's rather than have the last word, it's to have the lasting word. Because what what you can get, especially with children, is this kind of back and forth where both the parent and child want to be right or have the last word. And that's slightly different from what you're you're talking about there. But it it makes me think as well, a lot of the stuff that we teach is about, uh, I wish there was more of a focus on autism and puberty. Uh, And it also makes me sad that a lot of the stuff that's taught to parents tends to stop. When the when the children reach a certain age, there's not about adulthood.
0: No, there's nothing about adulthood.
1: So one thing from my experience as well is you have this, you have the media perception of autism, which shows a lot of difficulty, a lot of challenging behaviours, and uh, a lot of stuff in childhood. And what I get told a lot by parents as well is there's this notion of comparing children from a young age. My child's reached this stage. They've learned how to walk. They're talking, etc. And when your child is autistic, there can quite often be certain delays in certain areas. The child can be ahead in some ways and behind in other, some other ways. But parents kind of get the perspective in their minds that because their child hasn't reached the same milestones as other children, their child will always be behind. And so when they see adults like us that are functional, I don't don't really know what word to really use there, that's probably that's a completely wrong word, but... um. I think for a lot of them, it gives them a massive amount of hope, but it kind of shocks them because mm. quite a lot that come through my classes kind of think that their children are going to have a difficult life forever, and they are going to have difficulties being autistic in society, but then not as bad as the media perhaps puts across. Um, I think some of them, a nice example there is empathy, which I look at and I see. A lot of people empathising, it's the right word with each other, because they share experiences, they know how that feels, they've been there, they've been through similar stuff. And those kind of experiences, you don't necessarily have them when you're a child, but as you grow up, you experience more. So you can relate to people more, you can empathise
0: more. What do you think are the most common mistakes that that parents make? For autistic children rather than than just generally. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) um, Most common mistakes that they make? I don't know what those common ones are. I can think that there's a lot of parents which part of them you know, finding out their children are autistic is realising that a lot of those behaviours they thought their children were doing to purposely upset them were not purposeful at all and this child has actually had good intentions or has been trying really hard and the parents have been thinking my child's being bad or naughty and uh, the realisation that they've been uh upset or using i don't know some form of punishment on their child that when their child has actually had really good intentions kind of you can see it breaks the heart a little that um they've for years potentially thought their child was misbehaving and only to realize that actually you know their child was really trying and they just didn't didn't realize mm-hmm. and that's very hard
0: well, I was going to—I uh, was going to segue from that onto you uh, have been running these parenting classes and that kind of thing. But you've also now been setting up your new business, Autism Academy. So, do you want to explain a little bit about that and its its aims?
1: Autism Academy is where I make uh, some animated videos explaining different things about being autistic from an autistic perspective. So, things uh, that you perhaps don't often hear talked about things like executive functions so looking about how the mind works and one of those is working memory which is that memory that very temporarily stores what you're thinking about like a phone number you've just been given you don't often hear people talk about that or you don't often hear people talk about how if you're autistic you might process emotions differently or some of the sensory things you may have heard of sight and sound and smell but you don't hear about Proprioception, or uh, which is you know our muscles, tendons, ligaments, or interception, which is our internal sense like needing the toilet. You don't hear those things talked about, so I thought I'd make a resource. I'd try and make it fun, short, interesting that I could explain these things. Uh, one of the challenges right now it is mainly me that's working on it, but I am reaching out to others and making it more representative because i I don't just have my perspective, I have the perspective of all of my autistic friends and acquaintances uh my past partners who are all almost been exclusively autistic as well uh all the parents I talk um on a you know a lot of people I interact with even before I was diagnosed as being autistic were autistic themselves, even if we didn't know or I didn't know, or I could think back to friends actually telling me and I me mean, not knowing what it meant and not really caring just going oh I, it's just a word I, I don't understand it and so somehow i'm surrounded by autistic people we just sort of find each other and it makes sense you know i think we want to reach out to people who are similar to us and who understand
0: you said that uh we as, as time went on you uh question what autism is more and more and more um and just now you were talking about how actually like you do feel a sense of affinity for other autistic people so i was just wondering do you think that uh, we lack commonality or do you think that we just actually haven't fully understood what the basis of that is yet and we're just looking at areas that are not fully researched
1: so i think there's definite similarities between autistic people but sometimes some of those things can be a bit more subtle maybe an example of this is somebody could be some, so for instance somebody could melt down often in public and you may see it they may scream try and run away and then another person may melt down but it may mean that they go to the bathroom and just cry and break down in that and so, so some things can be hidden and you don't necessarily realize so uh, for some autistic people it can be really obvious they're autistic of others you just wouldn't know the the person who work at your local shop who serves you every day they just they just seem completely and absolutely normal but there are similarities between us and i think that that helps bring us together because we share those same experiences we can perhaps potentially empathize with each other more if that's the right word and i don't know i, I find the company of autistic friends i find to be a lot more understanding to me and i understand them a lot more and we seem to get along easy easier i don't know if that answered your question
0: do you have anything to say odai
2: not really just been pondering what lauren's been saying and they they raise some really interesting points there and just a curious question in regards to the academy what's the response been like generally to the episodes and sort of things as such
1: so i have about five thousand followers across social media that's pretty good uh, yep, yeah, that that is good. I think I only have one hundred and ninety subscribers on YouTube. Uh, there's only a few comments on each, so it's some time to get it people to come to the videos. Uh, but I think there's been like thirteen thousand watches. But there's not necessarily more comments. The Twitter is a lot more active. And there's a lot of people engaging, giving their points of view, helping me describe things. So I've often asked uh, the the autistic community on Twitter, how would you define this? What the kind of challenges you have here? What are your strengths here? And it's been really useful to get that kind of feedback, which helps make it more of a general perspective of autistic people as a whole. I did actually get thinking just now about some of the things which some of the similarities between different autistic people. I mean, some things which can give us shared points of empathy is, you know, we have some similar difficulties growing up, whether that may be understanding social cues or bullying Uh, but also a lot of the people I find myself around are the people that are, are honest with me but if we have a problem they don't you know just stop talking to me or sneer at me from the other side of the room they tell me that we have you know we're having this difficulty between us and other autistic people generally are seemingly more honest or more likely to tell you so I'm more likely to be around them Uh, but yeah all my friends they are generally more honest to me more to the point we have more communication and I think I really value that as well because all my close friendships we spend quite a lot of time talking about how relationships work and how they feel and this you know like I said what does respect mean or what are healthy boundaries and it's often looking at how we work as humans maybe we'd call it emotional intelligence I don't know that could be a Another bad word to use.
2: What would you say? Because you said the videos that you've made are all animated. So as a animated create you know, creative person, um, what drew you to necessarily telling these stories in animation and do you find that it's easier to get those across rather than say just doing a vlog about you know being autistic so to speak
1: i see a lot of people on youtube just talk rather unscripted at a camera and i think that's really good because it gives you a person it makes them relatable yeah you can instantly identify other person especially as they're describing all the little problems but i've been to a lot of autism training myself i've been to I think almost all the national autistic society 's training done some of the curly hair projects training there 's a, a lot of different um, training days or half days these organizations have, and the information 's very limited and it 's almost all exclusively based on children and This is what people who work with autistic people are getting taught. If you're working in adult care and you're looking at you're working with autistic adults, you'll still get the same training from National Autistic Society, which is primarily based on children. And when I say I've done all of them, I don't know. I think I've done somewhere like fifteen full length days by the National Autistic Society. These videos, I thought I'd make them short uh, because a lot of people, parents, etc., don't have much time. I thought maybe it could encourage someone like the the nas someone else actually incorporates into their training days to get maybe a more general perspective that isn't just based on children yeah i wanted it to be to be short simple to be able to people to be able to watch even people that don't aren't specifically interested in autism just to or they have autistic friends and they just go oh that's that's a two-minute video i'll watch that it'll help me understand a bit better okay
2: thank you
0: i did want to go to what you were saying about talking about with your friends about issues such as boundaries and consent and emotion and intelligence because um one of the things that definitely does mark us out as different as autistic people is the struggle to understand what it is that other people mean and i think that um trying to work that out while simultaneously recognizing the fact that much of neurotypical society has structured its communication in a way that's quite patriarchal yes. um that has, you know, various marginalizations of small groups within it and trying to get at, you know, what's actually a reasonable thing to say is, is quite a challenge. So I was interested yeah. in, in knowing sort of what kind of conversations you were having with your friends.
1: Okay, I find it interesting that both me and you decided to talk about consent at some point, because even though I make a video about autism and consent, I don't, my video wasn't really about sex. It's about consent in every day and why it should be taught from a young age and about how consent is about everything you kind of do in a way. And this isn't an exclusively autistic problem. In fact, this is a very neurotypical problem or not even neurotypical. It's about society and the things we talk about and how we're taught. But I understand if you are autistic and you're constantly given these messages by the media and by those around you, you're going to get pretty confused because from a very young age, I remember, you know, being male bodied the making derogatory statements towards women was praised by other people who are male bodied, and that 's really, really bizarre and I can understand a lot of autistic people growing up might be quite confused about why is this okay, how am I meant to act, what am I meant to do, and you sent a lot of very conflicting messages but yeah you 're right as autistic uh, as autistic people, we can have more difficulty understanding and interpreting other people and behaviors, and I find myself. Around people that spend more time talking about those things. But what I realise is that they're not exclusively autistic problems. They're problems everybody has. But I think I see a lot of people just not thinking about them. They just go along with how things are meant or how things are generally. They don't spend the time to think about, am I placing unrealistic expectations on someone else? Am I clearly laying down what, you know, are my boundaries? Are these things healthy? I don't think people always think about that
0: no i think there's a definite tendency on the part of people to um yield space i think would probably be a, a way of putting it you know you have someone who's coming in and transgressing you know a boundary or making someone feel uncomfortable in some way you know it doesn't have to be touching it can be talking over someone um and for people to ultimately instead of reinforcing the social norm that everyone else around feels is appropriate just lets it happen um and is you know conflict diverse um to that situation and i feel like one of the ways in which autistic people ultimately have trouble is that um a lot of autistic people much less willing to do that um they're told oh (laughs) there's a a rule in this conversation about how certain things are communicated and if someone uh breaches that rule then the autistic person will say so um and then be stigmatized by everyone else around them for being like oh you broke the amurta, like, you can't get away with this. Um. Even though at the end of the day, the autistic person was, in fact, right.
1: I've been in the situation where I've said to somebody, what you said is not okay because of this reason. And they've just gone to me, yeah, I know, and then continued. And it's been about very, very disturbing things, about causing, you know, deep emotional and physical harm to someone else. But also, I understand that there's a difference between calling someone out That is, you know, say in a group setting, saying what you've said is not okay, And there's also this notion of calling. So there's there's that calling people out, which is somebody said something wrong and you say that's not okay, which can instantly then put them on the defensive. And then there's calling people in, which is where you recognize that maybe they didn't mean to say that or they didn't understand the consequences, but you recognize they're good people. And I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of people around me that when I have made mistakes or done things wrong, they've actually spoken to me me about them in a way that doesn't say you're a bad person. It says that we recognise you've made this mistake and it's quite human to make mistakes. But I see a lot of other people around is they just get they they do something wrong or say something wrong. And they instantly get pushed aside by everybody. They get pushed out of the group. They get labelled as a bad person or as a creepy person or as a weird person and people don't want to engage them anymore whereas if people actually spoke to them about what's going on there ask them why they actually realized that that person didn't mean to do it or something else
0: yeah the boundary of creepiness is something that i think is 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 something very very relevant to autistic people um in many ways because that's such a subjective term you know what i mean it is, and it's yeah. so difficult to understand from a social situation to social situation and i don't think that anyone has the answers it's a very difficult one to navigate true true well
1: if if you're say very generically attractive and you do creepy things you're going to get le- labeled as creepy far less than somebody who isn't as generically attractive who does the same behaviors so uh, yeah a lot of these uh things that are labeled creepy or etc they are quite arbitrary they don't always fit or make sense people just make different decisions with the same information at different times and that can be quite of a struggle
0: if you were going to recreate society from ground up wow do you <laughs> that's a question i i, I know so uh, you know don't worry if uh, if it's too big a question but um if you were going to create a society from ground up you know and create an inclusive one of autistic people and neurotypical people what basic rules of communication do you think that you would establish
1: i'm going to give my answer but first i'm going to point out something which is uh something about the english language you know you've got this english politeness which is very odd you've got about how people greet each other and say hello how are you and everybody wrote lies back i'm okay lots of odd little things in English that there aren't in other languages so i can see how our language and our culture actually shapes our ability to understand and even say truthful things what i would do to create a more inclusive society is i would encourage people to take more time before they judge so what i mean by that is it's completely natural to judge others we we need to judge others to survive but i think that you should accept that your first judgment isn't necessarily reflective of reality. So I'm saying that you should wait for more information. You should not make your final judgment so quickly. Because we I see a lot of people in society and we look at people and we make snap judgments. But that's often not really correct. And uh, I think people should... Take more time to come to judgments. They should take more time to get more information to think about what's happening, how, who this person is, how they behave before they say this is who the person is.
2: I think that's perfectly understandable and suitably radical for upending society to have people be more understanding. So I approve of it. You've got a supporter here. Thank you. I think it goes a little bit in, w- a bit in with this notion of
1: acceptance that you don't need to understand something before you accept it. You know, you just need to recognize that that's that's a different person. They're doing their own thing. It's not affecting you. And I think that notion of judging later yeah. will help with people accepting things that you don't necessarily understand.
0: I think that I I think you're absolutely right in that uh, you know be righteous to one another. I I think that. Um create concrete rules that everyone can understand and then be very okay with people not meeting them i think that uh, a lot of the problems that we have in the way that people communicate with each other and the way people look at things and um, the way people interact with each other is that um, you know there are no written rules but if you transgress this rule you are anathema uh, or yeah. you know you look around yourself and then you turn back and suddenly all of the rules have changed and you know it's become completely diriger that we now have to vote on wars in parliament um which is something that we didn't have to do for the preceding 400 years
1: this, this is why i say things are kind of arbitrary they seem to change They seem to be made up at one moment and different at the
0: next exactly and i think that what i would suggest is that uh everything should be explicit but the understanding should also be that we would be comfortable with ambiguity
1: What well, i um one thing that you brought up which uh, i can very much relate to is that you can make these rules but then also completely expect that nobody is necessarily going to always adhere to them and this is kind of one of those notions uh, that i carry in life which is you can't necessarily expect really anything from anyone not even basic things like being respected. We talk about respect all the time, but I don't think you can necessarily expect that off of the people. You just don't know how other people are necessarily going to interact, act. Maybe that wasn't so clear. Never mind. I, I, I that was misformed thought. So I take it back. Back to you, Sarah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that you are right in that. You know, we have to. Um respect that you know you can set a rule and then recognize the fact that lots and lots of people are not going to meet it I wouldn't take a cynical view of humanity and say oh well you know we shouldn't assume that anyone's going to respect us I think we should very much assume that um, and we should continue to enforce that as a belief regardless of whatever evidence we are presented with to suggest that that is not the case I think that uh, assuming good faith writing down the rules and then ultimately forgiving people if they break them would be my recipe for a society that would allow both autistic people and neurotypical people to function with a lot less stress.
1: I'm absolutely not disagreeing. Hmm. It makes me uh, think of an interesting analogy, which is this notion that somebody's stolen something and you say that they are the problem, they are a thief, let's throw them away, lock them up, when really they're not the problem, the problem is the thing that led them to steal, such as poverty, and it makes me think of the prison system and how we uh, punish people, not rehabilitate them, but I I do digress often,
2: I hope you you can appreciate it. Lauren, this is the perfect place for digressions. (laughs)
0: Well, I was going to just make a brief digression of my own and say I was reading a story about a very, very obscure island in the Pacific Ocean, um, where they only can access, like, because of their weather system, they can only, like, access the outside world, like, once every three weeks or something. And so they have a very, very insular community that lives on it, and they've only got one policeman, and they they certainly don't have a jail. And so I was reading an article about this this island, and they said to this policeman, what would you do if someone you know stole something and he was just like well why are they stealing it the journalist goes I I don't know like someone stole a whole load of fish from someone else (laughs) and the policeman said well I'll probably go take him some more fish because it sounds like he needs it and that yeah and that that was his approach to crime
1: Mm -hmm. I like that well that's, that's the point the the person's reason for stealing wasn't wasn't something bad it was because they were suffering themselves and if you you remove that then they've got no reason to do the crime Uh, and treating the person who's stealing as the problem that doesn't necessarily make sense it doesn't help change the problem the problem isn't the person i would would like to to be sent the article um i'm kind of torn um so i grew up in a a smallish town by the seaside. And even though the people I spent my time with were quite different, we'd all spend every day with each other. And coming to a big city now, because I live in Bristol, everybody seems very temporary. Groups come and go, people change, people move around. And I find I struggle to make and maintain friendships because I struggle to motivate myself too. Because every person feels very temporary. Like, you spend all this time getting to know somebody, and then they move slightly far away, like one of my close friends did. They moved from down the road to a 15-minute drive away, but it can take up to an hour and a half on the bus, and so I rarely see them. And so friends and friendship groups can just fall apart, because one key person moves just slightly further away. And when being in that small community, people, even if people did something different or did something disagreeable... People would stay friends or try and resolve that difficulty, or at least just accept that that person's done something unpleasant and they're probably going to do it again, but you can still find value in them and who they are and enjoy their time. So it, it's, it's a few different things there. One is I'm surrounded by people in a big city, but I lack a sense of community, a place with consistent people that know me and I can always kind of go. And that these relationships I have with people are more temporary, perhaps they're less mm. forgiving it's just a bit more difficult
2: This is odd for me because i've always grown up a, i've grown up as a city dweller, so this sort of environment is kind of normal is sort of normal to me I mean there are people that I've known in one or two instances who I have. It more happened. It happens. I can see what you mean in terms of things being temp for friendships for you. It's like a great leap from what seems like a a local. What seems like a smaller thing to people being more people being more sort of transitory in that sense. But I mean, it just it just depends into. I think it just depends in terms of how. People have their social circles, really, because I know people who've had, you know, sometimes as much as their friends evolve, they're still the few, same bit of people, you know, the same number of people that they've had from when they were younger. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know the same as well.
0: Well, I, I'm also a, a Londoner born and bred, so the, I I have personally always found small communities extremely alienating because they don't have the amenities that I want access to. Like I've always said, that if I can't get a curry at 4 a.m., I don't consider you to be civilisation. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it's interesting because um, I do a lot of weird spiritual stuff in the rest of my life, and that does entail going off to very sort of small Local communities where everyone knows each other uh, I went up to a a singing retreat with my mum once and um it was with someone who pointed out the names of every single one of her neighbors and could tell you what they were doing by whether their lights on were not or not. I would just find that utterly suffocating. I don't want people to know what I'm doing all the time um I want to be able to vanish and spend time <laughs> by myself and not have people knocking on my door <laughs> and wanting to know what I'm doing and that kind of thing.
1: I remember that, when people used to actually knock on your door. Yeah. You know, when when you, I say when we are young, and you didn't used to get out Messenger or WhatsApp, you used to actually knock on people's houses. Strange times.
0: Yeah, um, I remember, yeah, a few times that happened. Um, I didn't like it, I felt it was intrusive, you know. I'm I'm sitting around in bed hanging out, and then suddenly someone's like, oh, can I hang out with you? And I'm like, (laughs) I appreciate the validation of this gesture, but I would much rather be reading a book right now. That's the, the grumpy, uh, cynical, <laughs> alienating side of me. The reality is that I don't want to die alone, um, that I want to have strong and meaningful, valuable relationships with people that I can just turn up at the house of and hang out with uh, for a few hours, that I want them to be able to feel that they can do the same for me. Um, you remind me of something quite interesting here. It's We often talk about autistic
1: people having being very socially drained, And we often talk about special interests as well. But there's also special people. And there's also the fact, you know, so some people who can, say, become routine rather than being socially draining. Those people can actually be quite calm around them. Uh, It can be quite pleasant. It can be quite energizing. It can be enjoying to be around them and it not actually draining at all. And these people can be a partner or they can be family or they can be very close friends. These kind of routine or even special people I know a special person's a bit different than a routine person but I have this um and for me it's quite a quick transition if I spend a lot of concentrated time with someone they become very routine it's no effort to spend time with them it's not draining but if we fall out of routine and then it's a different thing altogether it's actually effort to spend time with them and I have friends that can fall in and out of routine as months or years go by
0: yeah I um, I call them body friends from um the concept of having a, a, a politician having a body man, which is someone who's literally just exists around you and has no particular designated purpose they just they're there to be with you and i think that um yeah you, you can definitely have a lot of friends who you know for particular reasons because you go to particular events um because you meet up and have dinner that kind of thing and then there are the people who are closer to you Um, the people who will answer the phone to you at 3 a.m um, and those are a lot harder to make when you're living in a large city definitely particularly as you get older and you have um you know, you have uh, jobs and yeah. people start siloing off, particularly yeah. as I'm finding, you know, people hit their 30s and they meet their partner and then that's it. They don't need friends anymore. And, you know, I've never struggled to find or meet people. Um, You know, I've mentioned in various episodes the various strategies that I have for doing that. And I've never had trouble hanging on to people. But finding people who share the kind of values that I have around having strong, meaningful uh, friendships with people who look out for each other actually that has been harder much harder because people do take a much more transitory approach to relationships than i do when you're living in these these big faceless cities um and and that can be quite a challenge um and i ha- I you know I, I hold my hands up and say that i haven't really found a solution to that yet
1: no me neither i mean it, it, it does exist there are pockets communities around things in a city there's people that you know you meet each other and maybe you instantly get each other and want to spend that time together there may be other people that it takes time to build that friendship up or there may be people that just come and go um but yeah it's it feels more difficulty i guess in a smaller place people are more stuck with each other <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that may not be the reason um uh, that's one
0: yeah i wish there was a way that you could uh have arranged friendships you know where uh... Someone would be like, oh, you'd really like this person. They really, really, really think exactly like you. And then you get together and go, oh, yes. yeah, we're best friends. It'd be
1: great. I would like but that as well.
0: Again, that would be making things much more explicit than I think that neurotypical people would be comfortable with.
1: It's, it's kind of interesting. You have things like OKCupid. Okay uh, you can go on OKCupid okay and you could look at your best friend on there. And you can know deeply personal things about their ethics and their politics Stuff that you may not even know in real life. Just a thousand questions they've answered around very personal things that you just wouldn't know. So maybe, maybe in the future, the internet will help people make better friends, or maybe it'll just make them more picky and less likely to stick around.
2: Yeah. Possibly, but all I'm just gonna say is, don't get me started on OK Cupid. My time on there was horrible. Okay, we won't okay, get I you started on that. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine maybe maybe much later on but not now we could we could we
1: could have an episode where we talk about our dating and dating app experiences that that's that's fine <laughs> if you want if you want to go there her tie
0: <laughs> all right then um i think we'll uh, leave things there uh, lauren thank you so much for coming on the show i think this was uh, one of the best discussions that we've had uh, in all of our episodes so far Oh, thank you how can people get in touch with you and your project if they want to do so Okay,
1: uh so people can get in touch with me on laurensnow.com. dot com. Uh my name is L-O-R-E-N and Snow is in the white stuff. And Autism Academy, they can find it as Autism Academy on YouTube. Uh and the website is Autism Spectrum dot com.
0: Fantastic. Well, I hope that uh people come to check you out. Um and Maybe one day we'll have uh, some kind of friendship dating database at some point in the near future. <laughs> anyway, Lauren, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. And Thank you for having me. We will see everyone again for another episode. Thanks for listening.